because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome David Herbert, head coach of the women's program in the Basketball Australia Center of Excellence to the Basketball Podcast. David has over 25 years of experience within the Basketball Australia Pathways, having coached in the NBL 1, WNBL, National Junior Championships, and as a national team head coach. David has received numerous coaching accolades, including WNBL Coach of the Year, Coach of the Year Victoria in Queensland, and the SEABL Coach of the Year. David, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on, Chris. Excited to talk to you and uh, had a chance to visit uh, not that long ago now and uh, see the Center of Excellence and uh, get a chance to connect with you and the other coaches. So maybe let's start. Uh, can you give us an idea of what happens on a daily basis for uh, for you as the coach? Yeah, well, at, at the COE, we have a, a full-time environment uh, for the, I guess, from 16 to uh, 18 years of age, uh, athletes, uh, supposedly the best athletes in the country. Um, we have, I have a lot to do with selecting those athletes. So uh, we, we try to do our best in terms of finding the right ones and uh, who have the right attitude uh, and, and bring the right cultural aspects to, to the COE. I guess, I guess on a daily basis, it's, it's a full-time uh, training environment. So we, we provide a daily training environment of excellence if we can. Um, and we strive for that each and every day. It has its challenges, that's for sure. Uh, obviously, they're young players uh, from 16 uh, upward, so there are, there are those challenges each day. But usually it's, a, it's an early morning wake-up. Um, I'm, I'm on the court uh, usually before they go to school, so at, say, 7 a.m. till in around the 8.30 mark, and the kids, are, the, the kids then fit in recovery uh, for about 15 minutes. And then jump on a bus and head to school. So uh, they're, they're, they are up early. Usually, we have an arrangement with Lake Ginindira College here in Canberra. Uh, they'll they'll go go to school uh, when their classes are assigned. So uh, between say nine thirty and one o'clock, we won't see them. Um, they'll come back. Uh, I'll I'll often have either an individual with a player. Uh, we'll be doing a video review uh, along those lines. They'll they'll go to gym at uh, 3.30 in the afternoon. And then we, we may finish off with some more individuals or, or possibly even some scouting or a scripting session where we're working on our on our team actions. And um, that, that's usually a, a full-on day. Um, we, we have off-legs days. Um, I've had to get used to that as a coach. I don't think I've ever done that in my life. But um, really the, the duty of care around the kids here is, is amazing. We have – I have eight staff. Um, I have – Psychologist, uh, nutritionist, uh, biomechanist, skill acquisition person, uh, assistant coach, doctor. Uh, we we meet twice a week, and all we do is talk about the kids, and we're trying to integrate everything. So, uh, like I, I teach closeouts and shooting technique, and I'll have my strength and conditioning coach uh, go through those techniques with me, and we'll work on things in the gym, um, tests that we want to run, uh, such as a Monday morning where they come in to do a jump test. They, they work on um, 
the balance of both sides of their body. So if there's any any uh, red flags, uh, then we obviously change the program for that kid for the week. But we it, it's 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 pretty extensive. Like the it is a full time environment, and um, I guess I'm in in the role for six months now, and I'm getting used to the the load management side of things, getting a lot better at that, um, and I guess training smarter, not harder, in some instances. So yeah, I guess that's a bit of an overview. It sounds amazing, and it sounds ideal in a lot of ways for for a lot of us as coaches who love this stuff, especially with the integration of all the different sports sciences into it. And you mentioned this being obviously full-time training environment. So initially, my my one thought might be one of the challenges is that you're not always building towards a game. That That's one of the challenges to be able to keep practice focus, practice motivation for players. So talk about some of the ways that you work around that, because on a weekly basis, you're not always preparing for a game, are you? Yeah, I, I guess one of the, the real key things that um, we it, – it's about our national teams overall. Uh, we're 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 heavily focused on the opals um, on the women's side, and obviously for the men here, it's the boomers. Um, the 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 real key thing is keeping that um, keeping keeping the kids aware of that. I, I, I mentioned uh, the other day we we we, we actually play in the NBL One East, which is a a tier under the uh, under the Women's National Basketball League. Uh, we we play throughout New South Wales. Uh, we we play pretty poorly um, and. But still, still won convincingly. So we're we're in a learning phase at the moment on just what what we want our our identity as a defensive team and things like that. So we do have some games, but realistically, we're we're aiming for national teams. We're aiming for the sapphires, the gems, the opals. And uh, one of the, one of the things the other day was we play poorly. I show them the video review. I walk them down while we're doing the video review to the other end of the building where uh, the opals. Um, Tradition and the the mottos uh, of Australian players are great defenders. Uh, Australian players play with relentless persistence. They're assertive. They're we players. Uh, I guess they're hanging in the gym here, and they're things that we try to look at on a daily basis to go, hey, our daily training environment has to have relentless persistence. It has to be – we have to be achieving those goals. And – that in mind, and also just various things that happen at the COE. Like we have the Australian Opals team coming in uh, in a week's time. They have a camp here, and we we actually we've created what we call the, the COE Opals experience. So we're going to shadow the Opals while they're training. Um, some of the kids, if they're in, the Opals are injured, they're going to be included, uh, and they'll be mentored by the Opals. So the 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 program overall for for Australia, we we, we try and make these kids uh, understand what it takes to be an international player for Australia. It's truly a model for basically every country to follow. And uh, it, has it surprised you? And maybe you've had these discussions there. How few countries have adopted this type of model? Yeah, I think I know Paris early on adopted it, but yeah, I I think it's. Peter Lonigan often said it's the best kept secret in Australia. We're we're trying to change that. Obviously, we're trying to put some more Twitter, some drills up. Uh, use Twitter, use social media. Um, I've noticed you're doing a great job. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we we had uh, I think like sixty thousand views on one drill and and things like that. And we've got to expand that. Where we we've actually got someone coming on in special media or social media, special <laughs> social media here, uh, which is great. And they'll they'll look after a lot of that for us because. Uh, the, the thing we we need to get our message out, what we're trying to achieve here, and 
Peter Lonigan does an amazing job. He he's in Perth right now. Uh, he's in Tasmania last week. New South Wales the week before. Um, Never stops. And as coaches, no, as coaches, we we try to get out with him as much as we can and spread the word. And um, it it certainly, I've, I've been in this system for nearly 25, 30 years now, and um, I, I think it's a good system. There's obviously it ebbs and flows a little, uh, just in terms of game style and moving from fundamentals to small sided games to a mixture of the two and and those things. But uh, I think Australia gets it pretty right um and we we go to worlds and we write down observations that observations at asia cup and we try to take in all those learnings and then incorporate that and and we're trying to do a better job of sharing that message throughout our country right here and um i, I think we're doing a good job considering we are under resourced and uh, there's minimal people involved in it yeah, it's it's amazing. I mean, you, do, you guys do a great job, and uh, you know, uh, it's it's just a curiosity that few countries have adopted this model in terms of that. But uh, also, what I love about it, about your background in particular, is that Basketball Australia has developed a coach within their system and then rewarded them when, with one of the marquee positions and something that you've earned through all the different steps that you've gone through and yourself and Robbie McKinley on the boys side. I mean, it's great to see coaches go through a pathway and then be rewarded with something that they've earned. Yeah. I guess 25, 30 years ago, I was a, a volunteer. Uh, I started in, I come from a little country town called Mall, and not many people in the USA, let alone, a, let alone Australia know where that is. And, um, it's a it, it's heartland of Basel, I think, in in Victoria and country Victoria. And I grew up uh, coaching in the under fourteen academy. Uh, I think the the coach there, Jack Thomas, who was in charge of the program at the time, said, "Hey, you're running this now." And uh, I'm eighteen, nineteen, and uh, that's when my journey began. I, I was involved with the jamboree. Um, I went through as a state coach, um, moved from a state coach. Um, into a high-performance coaching role in Queensland. I moved to Queensland, then commenced in the WNBL, and at age 26, I started coaching in the WNBL, which I'll say is too, I was too young. Um, but the experiences out of that have led me, and it, it, it's taken me 25 years to coach an Australian team. Um, but I'm, I'm thoroughly loving the experience here, and, and with the Gems, it, it's been a dream come true for me. That sounds like it. And, uh, you know, we're going to dive around a little bit on some different topics and uh, some of the things that I've, I've learned from you through some of your clinics and some of our interactions and different things. But uh, I want to start with shooting. And, uh, I, you know, you have a great clinic online. Uh, it's never one size fits all as everyone is different. Can you talk about that? Yeah, we we uh, when I got here, I, I said to Peter, the at the World Cup, uh, the pre past two World Cups, we've come second to the USA. And I'm not saying we can change that. There's a lot of other countries like France and Spain and those those countries that are, are, are getting better all the time. Uh, and but we the observation there um, was I just watched the warm up and I, I looked down at the USA. Every every shot technique, the ball rotation was amazing. Every every player seemed to be able to shoot the ball whether it was from a three point line or from the keyway. And I said to Peter right there, um, we, we've got some things to do here, like. If you look at the way the Australian kids shot the ball at the other end, um, the flight of the ball wasn't right. They're, they're hitting different sides of the ring. There was no consistency with it. So uh, we we decided to commence a, a model here and look at each individual and keep it individually focused. And that that saying of one size, it, uh, it, 
fits all. It, it doesn't. Um, we players have different. I've got a young girl here who's six foot eight, uh, Sarah Portlock. I've got a, a a point guard here who's who's sort of around the five eight mark. They're both going. They're going to shoot it differently. There's no question about that. And the, the there were some things that were common. We felt uh, so. We called it uh, building the house, um, and they were creating straight lines to shoot the ball initially. So we wanted to create a base um, initially where feet were straight, shoulders were straight, the fingers were straight, the index finger through the line of vision. But then, then we wanted to add the curtains. Um, so build the house, add the curtains. So then that that delves into all the different uh, finishing, like the one foot shooting that Jared Hillier and Wyndham's very big on. We we incorporate a little bit of that. I, I, I refuse to do it behind the three point line, Jared. I'll make that comment <laughs> now. But um, we 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 are, we're incorporating that into um, a lot of like the Dirk Nowitzki little step backs and uh, finishes around the rim off one foot. Um, it I think you've got to have the base though. If you don't have the base, um, it, it's you're you're in for a world of hurt and a, a real focus on. Uh, the ball rotation. So uh, I'm lucky enough to have spent some time on Zoom with David Love, um, and he's given me some really key drills on um, how to how to get the kids spinning the ball well, a one finger on the ball, and basically getting the rotation that you need. Um, similarly, different techniques on correcting form, uh, and from there, uh, the kinetic flow. I have to say, like the. If, if the kids don't flow and the shot's broken, um, there's issues. And we had numerous kids here at the COE, uh, and it, it wasn't really hard. It was a focus for me, so I made it my focus to try and work with each person, provide an individual program, and go about change. And we videoed each each player, front, side, back, side, and put a, an overlay. Um, I used a, an app called iAnalyze um, that I found on the internet. It was like a, an AI thing that showed exactly the movement and uh, we evolved programs for each player from there. And the success uh, across 13 athletes, 12 of them outstanding. I, I still, there's a work in progress with one. But uh, that, that's always a coach's challenge, I think, to you, you find something that you can't quite get your, your head around. And that's where I've incorporated David Love and um, our skill acquisition coach to, to really help us with it. I love it. And uh, building a house, what a great analogy to talk about shooting commonalities. And then obviously you accounted for adaptability within players as well, which is great. So I'm curious with that, with the level of players you're dealing with, are you generally dealing with small changes or big changes? Are you completely changing some shots or are you mainly working within what they brought to you? I, I guess the first thing is for the player to, to shoot it and to actually watch the flight of the ball. Once, once that, once we've seen the flight of the ball, now we can start to ask the questions that are necessary. So, uh, why did it hit the left side of the ring? Why, why can I see the logos when the ball's rotating? And from there, it, it's a, uh, I guess, straightening them out. And I'll give you an example. Isla, Isla Jaffermans, um, in our program, she has been the MVP at the Asia Cup uh, twice in one year for 17s and or 16s and 18s and. I had a fantastic World Cup. Uh, she's a phenomenal player, but the twist uh, in her shot—it um, it was basically finding ways for her to incorporate her legs. She's so powerful in her upper body, but her her arms were basically, or shoulders were doing all the work. So the kinetic flow 
she lost within her shot. So she would actually lift, lean back, lose the power from her legs, glutes, and hips. So then it became an upper body shot. Um, and we, we went about basically changing that and teaching her how to load the ball, um, teaching her about kinetic flow. And I actually had the girls dancing down the court. Um, we, we, uh, we were going down the court flowing and dancing and I had it to music. Uh, then I got them to sing and they didn't like that very much. So I asked them to perfect it so they didn't have to do it again. Um, but that kinetic flow and the understanding of the, the body, um, how to incorporate um, the power from legs so you can basically shoot it with soft hands was was vital to everyone. So I, there were two players with hitches in their shots. So they lift, they come down and then and reshoot it. And again, a negative energy going that way results in no power from underneath their body. So we worked at the flow of that. And it was kind of like breaking each one down. I wouldn't say the kids were reasonably good. Wasn't wholesale change, but we refined it definitely uh, to be to be start. We're getting we're getting results now. Um, like we we run a drill called Richmond drill, um, which is I guess an Australian one. You shoot mid range, make two in a row, you move back to the three. Uh, if you miss two at the three point line, you got to got to go back to mid range. And that drill uh, we started with kids that were scoring under a hundred. Uh, we're now hitting the one forty five to one fifty. Which which are elite scores for that drill. Our opals are opals are in that range, so um, there definitely has been some progress. And um, we, it, it's interesting. We changed our focus at the start of this this year, and we lost a little bit of those results. So um, we're now incorporating thirty minutes um, before each team training, specifically on that again. Very interesting to hear. And uh, you mentioned kinetic flow for coaches interested in more. You can Google that summation of joint forces, kinetic chain, all these concepts of basically a shot should feel effortless and not effortful. Yeah. And that's that's what I come back to the way I was taught shooting. It was like very effortful. Oh, you have to do this, this and this. And it, yeah. it didn't account for how it actually feels within my body. And that's essentially what you're talking about. Yeah, you get, you get a kid to to jump and and flow. Uh, next thing you put a ball in the hand and get them to do the same thing. It's a, it, it, it it's like, oh, wow. That's, it's kind of like a light bulb moment. And, um, and just, just seeing our six, eight kid, Sarah Portlock, um, who had no kinetic flow or chain. Um, she's now shooting the three. Um, I, I've got her to shoot one in a game so far. Um, but at six, eight, um, she, she's starting to win some of our three point shooting competitions. So, that's an, an ominous thought for the rest of the world if we can start doing that with our kids. So, That's great. Look out world for sure. And I had kinetic flow written down from your clinic. And then another two other words or phrases I want to talk about. What you see is what you shoot to. And then active receiver. So both of those. Can you talk first, man, what, what you see is what you shoot? Yeah. So I, I guess line of vision. So that's one of my shooting lines. So feet, shoulders, hands, like a shooting line across Thumb and uh, pinky, we say we want to finish like this. And then we add the curtains where we finish with our three fingers. But we, the girls walk around going shark alive. It's a, it's a Australian thing. So, um, but the, the, the shooting line. So if I, if I see what I, what I shoot to, I'm through my line of vision. I want to see it. I, uh, Sarah Blixabs in the Opals, uh, started doing some work with her six years ago. Uh, she bought, you can see this on the, she bought the ball back here and was releasing it. Um, 
within five minutes of working with her, I, I basically stopped her and said, what, what the hell are you doing, Sarah? And from there, we shifted it to in front of her face. And uh, now uh, when, when she's on, she's, she's an elite shooter. Um, the, I'm not saying that's from me. She, does, she did all the hard work. But to see her go out and have 40-point game uh, in, the, in the WNBL was amazing. The problem was the next night she had a game of zero and she'll hate me for commenting on that uh, here on the podcast. But um, she, she's a special young lady and it was amazing to see someone make change in five minutes. And normally people aren't willing to change. She was sort of 23, 24, 25 when I met her. Um, and she changed in five minutes. So I, I have no hesitation in actually uh, telling someone to, to actually make sure uh, the form's right. You never lose your eye. You never lose that ability. Um, so shooting through that line of vision, seeing what you're doing, you never lose that. You never lose the, the eye to do it. And once uh, one, it, small changes don't make a huge difference uh, to that. So, so and the other, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you quickly, like, so saying that, like, do you think that we too often avoid doing some of these changes on shots because we're worried about how long it'll take? Because sometimes, as I've I've experienced that you said too, it doesn't take as long as you think sometimes. Nah, if, if a kid, if a, if a young player wants to invest, or even an older player, I, I've, I've changed a shot with a girl who's 28 in the WNBL. And I, I think if they're willing to invest and take time, um, I think it, it's a it, they can do it easily, and I always I always use this analogy. And I, I don't even know where I was told this, but I was told you you've got to take ten thousand shots um, the the correct way, so the adjust with the adjustment um, to actually have it muscle memory um, or have the ability to remember it, your muscles remember it, and be able to shoot that way. So when I tell a young kid that, they they start thinking, "Gee, that's a lot of shots," but um, it. I don't know that ever, anyone's ever counted it that I've worked with, but um, I, I think it's easy if the, the player wants to do it. If they want to change, they'll change. Yeah, it gives them perspective on how much work they have to put in and, and generally lead themselves to be able to do that. So, And that's the beautiful thing about your environment. They do have those opportunities to be able to do those reps. Uh, the other thing is active receiver. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah, I, I think a lot of the time, like a, an Isla Juffman's, um, she will she will move her hands to the ball, so she'll she'll reach across rather than move her feet. And one of the things, whether you're coming off a screen, whether you're coming off um, basically coming off a cut, if you don't have active feet and you don't catch the ball in the air, you're not going to have the rhythm and kinetic flow uh, to be able to shoot the ball. Um, there's examples, say if you're in the corner with a three, it's it's less active where you 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 might pop and use two feet. But generally, if you you aren't active and chasing the ball, um, and your your feet will follow your hands, so you've got to you've got to do that all the time. You've got to be in a situation where your feet are active and, and moving. Um, I think it's 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 definitely something when you look at in basketball in Australia with younger kids right now, um, the active feet involves catching and ripping and driving all the time. I think in some respects we've lost that ability to catch and shoot. And I think we need to go back to the uh, Peter Lonigan saying, can I shoot? Can I score? Can I create? And if kids are catching with that mentality, the game becomes becomes tougher. I see I, – I, I went to a lot of tournaments earlier in the year in Australia and a lot of kids – it was, it was dry footwork, not shot footwork. The feet were active. 
but I think we need to go back to to actually looking to catch and shoot first uh, and then challenge the game from there. That's a fascinating observation, and uh, I have no doubt about that. And certainly people through March Madness are talking about the lack of shooting and different things like that. And that could be a great observation to be able to apply some of the this concept of saying, yeah, we're we're so emphasizing attacking closeouts that we're not mm-hmm. emphasizing shooting footwork first and yeah. uh, that shoot first mentality. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And we're, we're trying to create that here uh, with the kids and uh, to see young Jessica Petrie from Queensland. She's going to Nebraska, Nebraska next year. Nebraska have got a ripper. Um, the mentality of her was she, she she didn't shoot the ball that well at the start of the tournament. But I can tell you right now, every every shot that was open, she she kept she kept firing. And I think the semifinal, come semifinal, she had the first 16 points of the game and it was beyond the arc and, and it was in, impressive. Uh, so I hope to see some further results and make the if we can manage to get to that final again with the USA, who knows? We as the as the gems um, and coaching the gems, hopefully we've impacted these kids enough uh, within a within an eight nine month period to to really take another step and challenge the world from with our shooting. This is not men in the judgment of Nebraska. I don't know what they'll do with her, but the danger is is that she goes somewhere or some of your players go somewhere where they don't have permission and freedom to shoot when they're open. And that affects shooting, doesn't it? And that's such, such a concept that I think coaches really can just improve shooting quite a bit by just giving more permission and freedom. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the, I think you you get into a game, you, you want to shoot that three early. You want to kick the ball ahead. You want to, you want to be aggressive on the rim and uh, have the kids freedom. And, and like, for me, uh, the the young Sarah Portlock, the kid six eight, I'm yelling at her from the sideline because she's trailing and they're not defending her. And I'm I'm saying the only way she'll improve is to take that shot. Um, the only way kids um, learn the game of basketball is to take that shot. And you, sometimes it's about taking a risk. Um, but here, we, when we play a game, it's it's not about winning. It's it's honestly about developing a system, developing each individual so that when they leave here, um, they're, they're competent at shooting the three, shooting the mid-range, attacking the rim with various finishes. Um, and I think I think when coaches hold people back and say, don't shoot, um, the effect that has on players is is dramatic. Uh, I, I know of one in the WNBL right now, I, I think she can shoot the three really well. Um, unfortunately, the, the coach doesn't allow her to do it. And uh, it, I, I have to turn the game off half the time. It, it frustrates me. So. I've been there. I've been there. And uh, another phrase that I love, shifting gears a little bit into some of your team defensive philosophy, one of the phrasings I love, which I agree with completely, is teach situational rather than actual. Can you explain that for us? Yeah. Well, in a, in Australia, we had we went through a, an era of uh, denial defense and pressure defense. And that's what the, the Opals were renowned for through, with Tom Ma, probably the best women's coach Australia's ever had. Um, we were known for gritty, tough defense. And that was a system. We went then shifted to more of a pack line, a containment system. And you, you hear coaches now say, we're teaching pack, we're teaching pressure. We're, and to me, you, you, it, what's, what's, a, what's, what's the main danger on the floor? 
um, with their offense? What's the main danger individually? Who's the who's the biggest threat? How how's the team scoring? So teach player situations. I had an interesting one at the Country Cup this year in Aubrey. Um, we're watching a young player from the COE and uh, the coach is yelling because she's helping from the strong side corner. And I, I have that rule. It's, a, it's something that I – but this kid three times in a row left the strong side corner to go and help. And the coach ripped into her. The coach takes her out of the – after the game – why did you do that? And I was I was in earshot of it. I said, she said, because my, my player can't score. They can't shoot. So biggest threat was the player driving at the rim. So um, that's one scenario. So I think that's pretty smart for a kid to do that. And it's kind Sometimes of Sometimes they're smarter situation. than we are, aren't they? A- absolutely. And I, I encourage them to defend the strong side corner. Obviously, we might have a rule where we help off a player. Uh, so we try to make that situation as well. But you think in the post um, – you, you might have a coach saying always three-quarter front or always half front or always play behind um, within your system. You're not actually teaching the player a range of skills on defense. Um, you're not actually teaching the scenario. So if, if a player doesn't have a post move, they can't put it on the floor. Play behind. If they're, if they're a Lauren Jackson, um, play in front, three-quarter front. Don't let them catch the ball. Make it a lob or, or change the strategy. If, if you have one set style um, – you're not teaching that kid a range of skills, even on a closeout. Are they a shooter? Are they a driver? Uh, what, where do my hands need to be to take away the biggest threat right now? Do they need to be smothering the ball for the drive? Do they need to take away the shot? Uh, I, I think uh, situation as well, and you do that off on balls. Uh, you, you might have a player who's great off the bounce and looks to turn the corner. Do we double that player and everyone else on the floor? Do we... Um, do we maybe go under the screen and see if they can shoot it? And um, I think rather than teach a, a specific system, we te- need to teach a range of skills and talk about like denial, defense, and pack line. Um, the, it, with what I'm doing here, we teach both. So I call it on and off. Um, on means deny. Off means pack in and help. And we'll change that mid mid uh, mid possession just to get them used to the idea of, okay, we've got to deny, we've got to force the offense out. Uh, we might have a one specific player who is very talented that we might say, okay, we're denying that player. We're on, on and four off. Um, and I think doing that is allowing these players to develop a range of skills, not just a, a system of defense. Coach, I can't wait to get you back to the basketball podcast, but I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about immersionvideos.com. Have you checked out immersionvideos.com? Watch a NATO's practice and see how he has Alabama ranked in the top five nationally. Or get access to our new release featuring nine all-access practices from Alex Rama. Or other products from Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Dave Smart, Scott Morrison, Aaron Fern, Mark Cassio, Francisco Nanny, and more. Immersionvideos.com was created to provide value to coaches like you who are looking to stimulate their professional development by offering unique all-access tools necessary for you to be outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. Go to immersionvideos.com and check it out today. Well, it strikes me the adaptability that you're building, that they can go into any system in the world and be able to play because they've been exposed to different types of concepts and they don't, they're not married to one system. Yeah. And I get, I was, I brought, I was brought up, no, nah, this is the way. And it was all the denial stuff. Um, that we were taught and uh, it was good. Australian become pretty gritty and on the international scene that helped. 
Um, but now I think players are, are better, smarter. Um, some of the offensive weapons that are out there in, in the world are tremendous. So you have to have a range of strategies. You can't really go in with one. And it's the situation uh, that you want to defend, not the not actually a system. So, Well, we talk about conceptual offense. So conceptual defense makes sense too. We want players yeah. to be able to solve problems. So I love this. And this this goes into another topic that I know you're evolving with in terms of your philosophy, and that's transition offense. So can you talk a little bit about how that's changing over the years? Yeah, I, I think, again, you look at structures. I was, we, we had a screen-the-screener structure uh, in Australia. It was the five-man rim, rim run. Um, basically, you had to wait for him to get there. Um, the four-man trailing, you had to slow down and make sure they were there. Um, to me, the the I, I enjoyed the transition to the flow offense that Australia ran. Uh, we, we sort of flowed in a little bit more. I I, I hope I've evolved that. I might, may have taken it backward. Not sure, but uh, where we we run a a four and one, so four perimeter players, one one point guard, and those four, and then a, a post player running the middle, and that post player determines where we commence. So if they're already deep, we'll run a low series. If they're if they get to the foul line, we'll run a high series. If they're delayed and behind the ball, we'll run a delay series. So everything basically flows into each other. So you'll you'll get your handoff to one ball in the delay series. You um, you'll you'll get a punch screen and a screen the screener action that flows. Um, in, in the high set, you you might run some gets or some punch screens or some drag screens and um, basically trying to make it all flow and determine on creating a lot of space for our post to run and for our point guard to play. So, uh, And then basically the other three are, are getting ready to, <laughs> to shoot the ball whenever they're open, uh, kick your heads and get on the rim, um, feed the post with receivers uh, and – one of the big things that I like uh, with this, with the, the the three people running, is the point guard. If they can't kick ahead in the backcourt, they're going to misdirect the ball across the street, as some people call it in Australia, and get to the other side and change the shape of the defense. Um, when you incorporate all of that with a with a running post that flows, um, I, I I truly I'm, I'm trying to develop this all the time right now and. Um, I, I rarely run any actual half court sets, so it, it all it all sort of offense flows in 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 motion. So I think Peter Peter uh, Lonigan came up with flotion. He thought it was a, just a mixture of flow and motion. So I thought that sounded pretty good. I love it. I love it. And uh, so the trigger essentially is where the post is in relation to the ball, and then yeah. the ball in relation to the post. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And. Um, yeah, again, like the, if they're delayed, we're we're running we're running with uh, some screening action, or we're reversing it and coming back, getting a handoff or something along those lines. And um, I, I I love it. I think the kids they've enjoyed it too. Um, it's it just gives them the ability to play faster. And it, what I would encourage is they play fast. I want them to play even faster than that. So what we're doing is being attacking on the rim all the time and trying to create. The split kick extra, the read, the read and react um, type type scenarios that we get, and that that structure gives them the opportunity to be more creative too. I imagine because they can play multiple positions; it doesn't matter their spots as much, right? Because they can be very adaptable relative to this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And 
we, if if we don't have a, a post player, we we would basically just run to the lay actions all the time and play five out. So um, it, it you can you can basically if I have two post players on the floor, I just take one off the perimeter and they become first one down the floor is basically dictating what we do. Second player down the floor can can move into more of a trail position um, or delay position. So it's very interactive, and um, I I want to I want to work at this a lot more, and uh, I. I, I hope it gives us um, some fast, quick options when 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 we hit the World Cup stage. Yeah, it's going to be fun, fun to watch, and uh, fun to watch these players over the years evolve and develop as well through this. So wonderful, and uh, you have so many great phrases. So I'm going to throw some more of your phrases at you uh, that I've taken from different things, and I'm sure you've adapted or adopted from different people over the years. The, the one that I want you to talk about a little bit is this concept of a rebound king, and I'm not sure if you still use it or not, but I love the concept. Yeah, uh, Billy Billy Tomlinson. Uh, I was we we the Basketball Australia implemented mentors. So uh, I was I was doing a camp, uh, Gems camp, and had Billy Tomlinson sitting there, basically critiquing me. He's one of the master coaches in Australia. Uh, he coaches in China has 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 been uh, a, a fantastic coach for a long time. So the opportunity uh, to have a mentor. Some some people frown it. Um, I loved it. Like the I, I I encourage people to come and say, hey, I, I think this is you should try it this way, because um, I think as a coach you have to evolve and adapt all the time and and go with like learn what's happening in the world and and try and like I I'll go back to your the the rebound king, but the, that's what that's what Jared does in wind it's like he he new ideas and things like that. And I I look at some of his videos all the time. I like, hey, I can adapt that into what I'm doing, and I think. If you get set in your ways, um, you become stale and old. And uh, I'm getting old. I don't don't want to become stale. So, um, rebound king is is something that we have uh, an assistant coach who is absolutely dedicated to being a person who is the rebound king. So they will they will uh, basically be in a situation that uh, they're focusing on blockouts. They're focusing on offensive rebounding position, and they're getting after it. Um, we, we want them because rebounding is such a, a, a weak area in the game. Um, it, it, it's a, you've got to form those habits. So to have a specific person dedicated to that at training, and, and we use that at the GEMS camp, um, it, it had really terrific results. So uh, obviously your offensive rebound flows into defensive transition. So um, they take a little bit of responsibility for that. So um, that, that I, I go with a traditional scheme. There's some I've, I've done some um, the uh, what, what do you call it the um, <laughs> it's tagging up Aaron tagging Fern up. tagging up. But um, the I've, I've stayed with traditional scheme of rebound triangle, long rebound safety, um, and the rebound king's responsible. So I I'll uh, I'll hand them to uh, put together some drills specifically for that and and lead that and. That gets them more engaged at our trainings and things like that. But that concept really worked for me, um, and that was from Billy Tomlinson uh, as a mentor. And I encourage people: if you know a coach um, who well respected uh, has the knowledge, get them to watch you run a training session because it'll help evolve you as a as a coach and a person. Absolutely, it's a great thing to have peer evaluation and uh, you know those different things that come from it. And then the other part of this rebound king concept is obviously it speaks to you defining roles for your coaching staff because one of the challenges is that we all want to watch the ball, right? 
Like it's it yeah. just if nobody's telling you otherwise, you're probably watching the ball. So getting people to focus on different things is important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll have a training session written up, uh, particularly when you have a, a national camp or with the gems where you've got multiple assistants. Um, we'll define in each drill. Okay, you're you're concentrating on these particular points. We want you basically using these keywords or keywords that are repeated um, that are, and we want you, we don't want you stopping the drill. We want you taking people out to the side, explaining what's going on, get them back in the drill. So kids want to, kids want to train. They don't want to listen to me. They don't want to listen to the other coaches. And um, I think the more you can coach on the run and keep the session moving with those assistants in assistant coaches interacting, the better result you're going to have overall. Couldn't agree more. We, I know we align on that one to, to have them develop that basketball by playing basketball. And, uh, you know, the the other part of this is that it gives you the chance to be able to have the coach be the best version of themselves and have them feel that they're being successful and making an impact as well. So I'm curious, is there something that you go through in terms of evaluating your assistants or helping your assistants improve and grow as well? Yeah, I I, I would avoid doing it on the floor. Um, but you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're, jumping over the top of people all the time and everything like that. You, you've got to give them uh, the freedom to deliver the drill. Uh, it's probably more in the evaluation stage. It's, hey, what about these points? And it's it's not so much telling them, I, you need to do this or you need to do that. It's more getting them to buy into the system. Um, why don't you try this or how, and ask them questions. How it, how did that go? What did, what did you achieve out of that? Um, well, how about this as a, as a, teaching point um and just basically we we sat around in a round circle after each session um at the national performance camp in january where we had um sort of athletes from 15 to 17 in the camp um and those round table discussions where sort of no one was more important than anyone else um were really important and we discussed teaching points we discussed um okay maybe you could try that maybe this should have happened maybe and it was good. And by the end of the camp, um, I'd handed over um, different drills and more more stuff. So there wasn't just my voice they were getting because part of that national performance camp is coach education. And I think sometimes in Australia, um, our high-performance coaches and coaches with uh, the, the knowledge and experience, et cetera, they basically run a session for two hours and everyone stands around watching. Um, I, I encourage coaches to get on the floor and, and go for it. And we had, the, I think the last session was me on, new coach, me do a drill, coach like that. And it, it flowed like that. And um, the energy provided by those coaches was was completely different to the first session where we hadn't really met each other. So they were relying on me to deliver it. So by the end of the camp, we'd, we'd swung a 360, I think, and had everyone everyone coaching and everyone it, it was fantastic the atmosphere was was really really good and really positive i love it and just speaks to that if you want an engaged staff then let them be engaged right to yeah. put them in situations where they have a voice and they can communicate and they can you know run the drill or whatever, come up with their drill whatever it is all those things are so important and when i see a staff that isn't engaged generally i ask the coach i said how much how much involvement does the staff have in practice because ultimately yeah. that's the fun part, right? But not creating the scout behind the scenes. It's actually practice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And right now, um, my my assistant coach Sarah Graham has has 
the COE girls on the floor. She's actually down there. And I I, I thought, no, no, I'll, I'll change the time. I'll do I, I'm like, No, no, it's time for Sarah to step on the floor and lead this. And um, she's, she's a great young coach. Uh, she's going to be terrific. But I've picked moments deliberately this year. Uh, one, one unavoidable with my tooth, uh, having a having to have a root canal. But uh, I've picked moments through the year where, hey, this this is yours now. You you, because my my job is to prepare more coaches to coach at the COE. My my job is to encourage people uh, to to do what I, I did. I guess I when I was a young coach, I turned up for the the first clinic I went to. I stood there and basically sort of stayed back against the wall and never said anything. Next thing, a, a, another famous Australian coach, Murray Trester, said, you've got this drill. And I think every second word that came out of my mouth was okay. I was so nervous. and But at that moment, it was a step in my coaching. And for coaches to come here and run a drill at an NPC camp, it's a step in their coaching. And the encouragement of, of getting people to do that and be interactive is so important. And that, my love of basketball came out of those under 14 academies where I was forced to get on the floor and lead it. And um, I, 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 Jack Thomas uh, was the guy. He he pushed me to to come out of that, get out of my comfort zone. Don't be quiet. Don't be shy. Um, step forward. And I haven't stopped talking since. I think so. <laughs> oh, we're grateful for it on the podcast. And that's beautiful. I love I love that whole sentiment on your part. I mean, it's development. It's not just for players. It's development for all of the people involved in your program at the COE. And that's beautiful. Uh, another thing, another phrase that a lot of us use is kind of phrasing what's next mentality. But what I love about what you've done with it is you connect it to the four cycles of basketball as you define them. So can you talk about that? Because it gives a practical application to the what's next mentality. Yeah, I, I think the, if, if you draw a circle of basketball, offense, uh, or offensive transition to offense, defensive transition to defense. If you if you take that cycle, if if one's not good, um, you, you're in you're in trouble. Like we we run now, we we will do thing. Lono calls it birds in the box. So there's four people, two on offense, three people on defense, uh, with an extra defender on the sideline, and. They'll be around the keyway. So the two elbows, the two blocks, three defenders in the middle. And we're working on adaptive passing. So pivoting, making sure defense, the defense in the middle can't get deflection. So it's three against four offense. Um, so that, that's a traditional drill. Everyone probably does it. But what, what we've done is um, we the coach will say, go. The fourth defender comes in. Whoever has the ball has to back it out. Now we're in shell drill. Now they have to complete five passes as a team, uh, four on four. Then we evolve that to um, prior to them getting the five passes, the coach can yell change. So now the offensive has the ball, has to put the ball on the floor. They're now in defensive transition. And so we, what we're trying to do is teach the transitions between the game. Um, another little drill that um, that I like is similarly, we have four defenders, three offense and a and a coach. So it's like shell drill. They start off uh, four on four, but one of the offensive players is a coach. The only player that's allowed to shoot the ball is the coach. So we we basically, um, the defense shifts, obviously, like shell drill. Um, coach shoots it. All of a sudden, now we're in a, we have a four on three scenario going back. And we're, we're trying to kick ahead. We're trying to limit to three passes to score. 
from there, we, we go to a situation where it's then three on four on the way back. And what we're trying to simulate is at least three traps. So the defense working together. But what, I, what I'm finding is more, more of that type of drill where, you, where you're moving between the phases of the game. You're, you're executing uh, half-court D. You're moving to off, offensive transition. Then you're back on D again. The, the, the five-on-five to up and backs, those, those scenarios are really – it teaches, teaches the game. And you can do it two-on-two. Two, you can do it three-on-three. Three. And even to the, the point of your small-sided game um, – Moving to the next phase of it. What okay? Who's smothering the rebound? Who who's who's got the who's going to dog the ball? Who's getting back at safety in the three on three like that? Um, I think the more we 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 teach between the phases, the better outcome we get because it just makes more sense. If you run five on zero offense, um, you, you're not getting game scenario. If you, you do slow slow five on five. You're actually able to teach. Okay, the defense did this, so you do that. Rather than A to B to C to D to E to F. Okay, now we might score. It's okay. I've I've passed it. What's the defense done? Um, and so I think that involvement for me is something that that's um, happened in the last five six years. Um, and trying to teach those phases and teach the game a little better with with defense. Um, in-game like scenarios has has definitely improved well two things stand out from what you just said one is the players are probably more engaged too because you're playing basketball and they're getting multiple trips to the floor which they always love and then the other part is obviously with that example you gave with the four on four with the coach shooting the ball you're able to load in different challenges for them as you said that trapping challenge that they've got a certain traps or they've got a certain number of passes so you're not just doing this drill you're also doing this drill to emphasize specific things so that they come up with specific solutions yeah, that's right, and they have to read the game. And I go back to your—I your, remember your clinic here uh, in Canberra. You you talk about it, letting that letting the players explore and and basically get into it straight away. I 25, 25, 30 years ago when I was at university, uh, an AFL coach by the name of David Park, and he said SPIR. So he called it spur. Um, I, I, this might be spire, but I, he called it spur. And it was show show the drill, get them to perform it then worry about the instruction, then the reinforcement. And what what you did here, I, I, it, was, it was like a flashback to, do I do that all the time? Because it's something, um, and I guess I questioned myself and went, okay, well, what Chris is talking about here, that's sort of similar to what David was talking about way back. And going back to that is something, um, I, I guess, you inspired and uh, it's kind of like get these kids playing more, get them, get them out on the floor and exploring. Um, don't spend too much time instructing everything. So, well, you just described every podcast I do, which is making me self-reflect every time I hear someone like you or someone else talk. So, I'm grateful I had that impact. But, to, to, but speaking back to that point, it's it's basically again this situation where I think my actual phrasing was it is teach the drill before the skill, because yep. often as coaches we know we we know all the answers and we have all the solutions, so we can speak mm-hmm. a lot. But the point is, get them into it first, and once they've experienced it, then some of the things that we're trying to guide them towards will be more impactful because they've already done it. Yeah, and at the at the gems camp, I was doing some five on zero work again, and you could see the kids are looking at the roof, the scoreboard. If they're not, they don't have the ball in their hand. It's kind of like you mean kids don't like five on zero, coach? <laughs> yeah, the uh, Jen, Jenny Lonigan, Peter's Peter's wife. 
Yeah. And she's she's the real boss of Australian basketball right here. Like the she comes up and says, Dave, that'd be better slow five on five. I said, You're right, Jenny. I, I just it's just something old habits die hard. And um I instantly back into that. So um I, I was grateful for for Jenny coming up and saying that. And that that came out of that interaction with the coaches again. They they became brave enough to come up and say, Hey Dave, what about this? And um that was the the atmosphere we were trying to create at the National Performance Camp. Well, I love that. I love that. Obviously, what what a great example, someone who's been in coaching as long as you have, and you're always open to feedback. And that's such an import of this is humility as a coach is always a part of it. Um, I actually did a clinic that I post on YouTube, applying basketball immersion concepts to teaching plays five on five. For those that want to understand slow learning a little bit more of what David's talking about, because I think it's a it's it's absolutely underutilized. In my opinion, yeah. this concept of five on five, te- even teaching a new play, five on five, slow learning, so that you connect offense and defense. And what else stands out to you when you do this slow learning type of concept? Uh, I, I get this: the players understand the mm-hmm. what is it, what's the defense showing? What are they doing? What's the read? Okay, um, they're they're denying the wing, so there's a backcut opportunity. If uh, off a screen, there's multiple reads and. The players don't learn that in a five-on-zero situation. Uh, the, that they're the, they'd be the greatest offensive team in the world, five-on-zero. But you, you imme- immediately when you put someone in front of them, uh, it, it's completely different. And that ability uh, also in the slow on five-on-five situation for some mentoring to happen within our group as well, like the Isla Jaffermans to mentor Sarah Portlock, um, six-foot-four, six-foot-eight, um, no, do this. The the defense is taking away your seal, so reseal. Uh, and the, the it 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 it's unbelievable the the effect it has across the group. Um, rather than the the five on zero, like the it, and it's it's harder to coach. It is harder. To, you've got to think of multiple things and be. But the the way you as a coach develop is by going through that experience as well. Okay, what's the defense providing? How do we? How do I read this as a coach and? you'll develop a, a bit more of a philosophy around it by doing it as well. I'm so I, glad. I, I say, yeah. I'm so glad you brought that part up about the two players, like the mentorship amongst players, because I think with our obsession with intensity and in practice, we lose so many of those moments. Oh, it's gotta be intense. It's gotta be intense. Well, if, if you rank the things, I think, and I just saw some graphic that said from a deeper learning perspective, the number one thing that leads to deeper learning is teaching someone something. Yeah, so, yeah, and so so your players learning more by teaching it, and and learning off your peers as well. It's mm-hmm. it's it's huge. It's uh, well, it's more powerful. They they don't want to learn it from us, right? They'd rather learn it from their peers, of course. Yeah, I thought of something just before when you said like the about um, coaching and things like that. I, I I think one of the things that I've learned about taking feedback in. Um, I think the day I became a better coach, I would I I don't think you can ever become a great coach in some respects, but the day I became a better coach was when I realized that I didn't know everything and people to come up and say something, people to, okay, this is, here's a new idea. Then adapt it into your philosophy is I, I think I took large steps. Like as a 26 year old coaching in the WNBL, I thought I knew absolutely everything. And one of, I was in Townsville and one of the things there was um, like I stuck in my ways. I didn't have mentors and people within Townsville that I could uh, call on, et cetera. And, I, I didn't evolve in that period of time from for, for the six years I was coaching. I, I, I did not evolve as a coach and that's on me. I, I thought I knew the world and 
all of a sudden there's there's all sorts of different types of switching and things that were going on and uh, I just I didn't I wasn't a student of the game now now I'm a student of the game every day like I I think YouTube uh, fantastic um, your clinics every like around the world there's so many opportunities to learn and you you don't really have to travel so it's pretty fun isn't it it's pretty fun yeah absolutely yeah and uh, you know that's that I, I, early on in my coaching career my my wife used to call me the uncoachable coach. Right. And it's like, it's totally, I can totally relate to what you're saying in that way. And I hope young people in particular are listening to this, think about that and reflect on that because it's exactly that. It's like, wait a minute, that caused me to self-reflect and go, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense that I'm not open. I should be open because I'm asking my players to be open. And and that was part of the thing I say when I was 26, I wasn't ready. Um, The, I I didn't have a range of experiences, the slow five on five, it, it was, very A to B to C to D. Uh, I, I didn't have a range of experience to draw on from dealing with players. And in some cases, player the players that were older than me. So I, I was, um, I, I had a young player come out of the AIS um, doing a conditioning session. The first time we'd had her in, in Townsville, she st- stops the drills, hops up, goes, why the, uh, I can't say the word online, but are we doing this? And as a young coach, I was like, what what do I do with this? Like I'm, I'm the, nearly the same age, and um, so now now it would be get back down and finish what you what you started, and um, but not having that range of experiences, not having uh, situations arise, uh, just in terms of team culture and chemistry. Um, I, I I I I look back and reflect. It was a great time, but it was also a time that I wasn't ready for, and I wish I'd done some things differently. Um, obviously. Uh, I, I, I wish I'd probably stayed at an assistant longer and tried to learn and develop the game more, but I threw myself in the deep end and um, came out the other end. And some of the things that coaches need to understand, you, you can go like this, um, but the next day you can go like that. You're only as good as your last game. So make sure you, you, you're ready uh, to step in. A, a lot of young coaches out there want to coach in the NBA or the NBL or the WNBL now. Um, I, I say, do your time. Um, find a mentor, find find a program where you can evolve and develop and learn a lot, a lot about basketball before you jump in and because uh, often you can jump in and it's a fast way to the top and a quick way to the bottom. So. Beautiful advice, as I said, and coach, I can't thank you enough for sharing with us. Uh, you can see all the years that you put into coaching have benefited us as well for this hour that you've shared with us. No, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you asking me on the podcast. It's You do an amazing job promoting the game, and uh, I thank you very much. Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about BasketballMersion.com. Why do so many coaches coach like it was 20 years ago? Technology, research, innovation have all expanded our understanding of teaching, coaching, and learning. Change can be hard to accept, but with an open mind and willingness to learn, it is possible. This is what Basketball Immersion has done for so many coaches. Coaches at all levels of basketball from around the world have stimulated their coaching development using the Basketball Immersion membership community. Embrace the change that will impact your players and team beyond anything you can imagine. Join our Basketball Immersion community at basketballimmersion.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, Subscribe to our newsletter at basketballmergent.com slash newsletter.